This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. everyone and welcome to the podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber from Healthcare News. You know, every once in a while, we'll get a blockbuster illustration of how the public appreciates or doesn't appreciate Obamacare. Uh, In late January, we got one. Mary Lou Retton, America's sweetheart Olympian, recovering from a life-threatening pneumonia, told NBC the reason she didn't have health insurance was she couldn't afford it. Now, there is so much to dissect in this, and that's why I've invited Senator Beverly, Kansas State Senator Beverly Gossage to be on the podcast. Like I mentioned, Beverly is a state senator from Kansas and owner of HSA Benefits Consulting, an independent health insurance agency, and she is also part of the American Care Choices Healthcare Coalition. Thank you for coming on. Senator Gossage, you know healthcare inside and out. Anne Marie, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad we were able to find the time. It's this time when I'm in session, it's very hard to carve out a few minutes, so I'm happy to be with you. Great. Well, you know, I have a hard time believing Mary Lou Retton couldn't afford healthcare. Now, she's had a successful career with many endorsements, and I know she went through a divorce, but, you know, she was married for many years to a professional football player. My guess is that Retton, like so many people who do not buy Obamacare, uh, just didn't think there was any value in it. Am I wrong? Um, No, I think you're right, because we, as consumers, look at value compared to cost. So... And I think I sent you an example of when I went in to look at her zip code and for her age. And by the way, when you go to healthcare.gov, that's really all they ask um, because they don't even ask your sex, male or female, does it make any difference? So they want to know what is your zip code, what is your age, and what is your income? So quite likely when she put in her income, if she's at least middle age, it's going to say you get no subsidy. So here you go. And it's... an the lowest price plan that I found for her was $1,200 with a $9,400 or $9,800 dedu- out of pocket. Um, who would think, wow, is, is it worth it? Maybe I could just pay for some of that myself instead of paying. And that was the low on the low end. I mean, she could have gotten a gold plan. Bronze plan. Like, yeah. yeah. So that's the bronze plan. And she could have gotten a gold plan, you know, for four or $5,000 a month. It gets extremely expensive, and when I tell people this, it's not uncommon for folks to go that, okay, well, what other options do I have? I'm afraid when they passed the ACA, they took away all your other options. I'll give you an example. In most states, especially in the Midwest, they had state laws, state regs. We still do. And they said that insurance companies may, for example, underwrite. So that means just like with life insurance or with homeowner's insurance, it's based upon the risk. So if you're lower risk, well, when she would have signed up for this, maybe she didn't have the pneumonia, maybe she did. The idea is, right, we want people to have insurance before they really need it. That's the whole purpose of insurance. Um, And back when we were able, before the ACA, people were able to buy it very, very low premiums. 
I'm licensed in nearly half the states for 21 years. I wrote policies every day for children for $25. Young people could get a policy for around 50. Females were a little bit more at about 62. Even if you were a 69-year-old female, the most expensive person to try to insure with private insurance be about 169 a month. What happened? Well, what happened was the ACA stepped in and said, oh, we want to be fair to people. We want to be nice to people. These mean insurance companies can't ask them health questions anymore. They took away all healthy discount. So on average in my state of Kansas and neighbor Missouri and others, they saw rates go up by 400%. So we yes. knew that was going to happen. And so it was like, you have to take everybody. So when you say you have to take everybody, you can't ask them health questions. People are going to wait until they get sick to buy, right? Why yeah. would I buy now? You can't ask me health questions. I'm going to wait. So then they said, wait a minute, people are going to wait. So let's force them to buy. Remember that? So you're going to pay a yep. fine if you don't buy policies. And then it was like, well, how can people, how can we force people to pay a fine for a policy they can't afford? Well, now we need to subsidize this. So well, let's figure out a way to pay for it. They had all these pay fors, of course, which were taxes on all of us. And so only for the lowest income folks did they get these subsidies to reduce their premiums somewhat. But you know what happened? They reduced the premiums down to kind of what they were before. And they act, this is the way I look at it. It's like the federal government says, you know what, we're going to make things better by crippling everybody. Not, not to worry, though. We're going to give some people a crutch. So by crippling everybody, they made these rates astronomically high. And then the lower income people, the crutch was, we're going to, pay, we're going to give the insurance company some money on your behalf. And, oh, if you're lower, lower income, below that 250% of the poverty level, if you choose a silver plan, we're going to also lower your out-of-pocket. In other words, you're going to lower your deductible, going to lower your co-pays, we're going to lower your total out-of-pocket. We'll do double, so you get that double tax credit. But what did that do to the middle-income people, even higher-income, mm. like, let's say, Mary Lou Retton? Those rates are still astronomically high, and they also did this. Insurance companies were like, well, if we're forced to take everybody, we have no clue who's going to apply. Um, we have to, the rates are going to be really, really high. And they said, the only way we can do this is squeeze our provider networks by saying, hey, such and such insurance uh, or hospital association, you're going to be the only hospital we're going to send our people to. You're going to be the only one in network. So give us a good deal. So reduce the rates a little bit. So they have lower, sorry, they have lower network or fewer hospitals to go to at very, very high rates. Yeah. Well, you know, this interview on NBC didn't go into too much depth, but, you know, Retton did say she had pre-existing conditions. um, Right. And, you know, which is surprising because Obamacare will not deny coverage for that. You just said that. Now, what do you take from this? I guess, you know, the alternative to Obamacare are short-term plans. I have one of these and, you know, I got to get a new one every six months. Uh, And we're, you know, the Biden administration is about to change the rules on these again. Um, 
is that possibly an option for her? Because they don't cover pre-existing conditions. You have to be, they're very easy to apply for, but you know, if you deceive them, they will go and find out that you lied and they won't cover you. So you got to be really careful with the plans. What do you think that that, do you think she possibly might've considered a short-term plan? Would that have been a fix for her in her situation? Sadly, because of the ACA, no. Um, They, the Short-term medical plans are at close to what we had prior to the ACA, um, which is they're going to look at your health risk. But here's the point. I'm sure that very healthy Mary Lou Retton could have had a health insurance plan prior to this, right? And it would have been extremely affordable for her because she was very low risk. She could have kept that year after year. It just would roll over. It might go up a little bit, but it was a very competitive free marketplace so you could go like you buy auto insurance they're going to ask your risk but hey they can't drop you right and rates don't go Mm -hmm. up very much however with short-term medical plans also called short-term limited duration plans i write those too but it helps those people who are healthy not able to get any kind of a healthy discount at all they are middle income and they're like okay no i have very i don't really have any pre-existing conditions or i do have a very minor pre-existing condition and so and and i take a medication but that's okay i will cover that i will cover that medication i just want you to cover everything else that i may um, encounter or i might have a new procedure or may develop a new condition, I want that to be covered, and that's how short-term plans work. Now, in some states like yours, perhaps, you have to apply every six months. In mine, it's every two years. So you apply, mm. you apply um, it's short-term, meaning less than one full year, so it's like 364 days, and you apply for that plan. It can start as early as tomorrow, the next day. You have it for a year. Then you reapply, but the you, and at that time, let's say that you reapply, it's up to the carrier to decide you, we're going to re-underwrite you, meaning we're going to ask again, do you have any pre-existing conditions? Well, anything that you developed in that first 12 months is now considered pre-existing, and so they could decline you that next year. Uh, under the Trump administration, they made it three years, so insurance companies may not underwrite you. So you sign up in advance. Hey, I want to go ahead and sign up for three years so that you don't re-underwrite me. And I've got a guaranteed three years, no matter what I develop, it's going to be covered for the next three years. And they will tell you up front, your first year is going to cost you this. Second year is going to be a little bit more. Third year is going to be a little bit more. You, when you apply, you don't have to actually reapply. Um, but if you do uh, reapply, and you use this same policy, um, you're not going to have to be re-underwritten. In other words, we're not going to ask you new health questions. Anything that was pre-existing is now going to be covered. That was under the Trump administration. Why did they do that? Because if somebody develops cancer in that first year, and this is the only policy they can afford, uh, it is going to be covered, and it will continue to be covered probably long enough for you to get your chemo all of the things that you need covered. And they are a full major medical plan. A perfect example is I had one of my clients, this was two years ago, bought a short-term medical plan in January. 
in February, he had to go in for an emergency gallbladder surgery. Yes, they dug into his past to see if he was lying. Did he have or have any trouble with his gallbladder before? He had not. So they did the research, found no, he had not. A $95,000 hospital bill was fully covered with his $2,500 deductible. This is actually wow. how insurance used to work in most days. <laughs> right, yeah. Through the ACA. Yes, but here's another thing people don't know. We as insurance agents were called health underwriters back in those days because we were all given underwriting guides. So I had, in my state, 17 carriers to pick from. Other states were 23 carriers to pick from. And if somebody starts, this is how they would say, I'd like to buy an insurance policy. Um, I don't drink alcohol. I'm not, I don't use tobacco. Uh, I've not really had anything. Uh, about four years ago, why did they tell me all this stuff? Because it mattered. And so yeah, I would say, right. like, uh, you have asthma. Let me go to the underwriting guides on asthma. These five, these five companies will still take you, depending on how severe is your asthma. I'm going to ask you some questions. Were you hospitalized in the last two years with asthma? And if so, how often? What do you use for your asthma and how often do you need to use it? Is it something that, like, it's exercise-induced? How long have you had it since childhood? I would ask all these questions, and then I would say, okay, these three companies probably are going to be your best bet. This one will rider it, meaning we're not going to cover the asthma for a couple of years. Then we're going to see how that goes, and then we could see if we would consider adding asthma back in for coverage. This one says, we're going to cover your asthma, but we're going to raise your rate by 10%. Which do you want? Yeah. You had all those options, and they when right, when right. we were lied to about Obamacare and Marie that they don't cover anything. They don't even cover. Do you remember this statement? They don't even cover if you have acne. I thought, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't about? remember that. Uh, and I but, well, I did because you know I wrote those yeah. plans, and I went back and thought, oh wait a minute. There was a medication called Accutane that was very dangerous. Oh yeah, had lots right. of side effects. So if you said you had acne, the question they were going to ask you was, are you taking Accutane? And if you said yes, they would deny coverage, but not because you had acne. Before we get to the rest of this podcast, I wanted to let you know about two fantastic live podcasts Heartland produces every week. We'd love for you to join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, live for our flagship In the Tank podcast. You can watch on the Stopping Socialism TV channel on YouTube, where you can participate in the show in the chat with other fans and also ask questions that we'll address on the air and put up on the screen. And every Friday, also at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central Time, you can go to Heartland's main YouTube channel. Just search for the Heartland Institute on YouTube for Climate Change Roundtable. Heartland's climate team of Anthony Watts, Sterling Burnett, and Linnea Lucan cover the crazy climate news of the week, debunk mainstream media myths about the so-called climate crisis, dig into energy policy, and much more. The show also often features guests that include some of the leading climate scientists and energy policy experts anywhere in the world. There is no show like it anywhere. So become regular live viewers of both of these programs if you are interested in smart, lively, fun, and interactive conversations. We hope to see you there every Thursday and Friday afternoons at 1 p.m. Eastern and noon Central at the Stopping Socialism TV channel and the Heartland Institute channel on YouTube. Oh, yeah, we're also on Rumble. See you there. Yeah. 
Um, now, you know, I'll tell you, Obamacare is in effect really entering its 10th year. When into right. effect, what, 2014? Right. Um, many people are now covered by it because Obamacare has also right. expanded Medicaid, right? We have a ton of people now in Medicaid. Right. Uh, not in Kansas. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, President Biden, Biden touted a few weeks ago on how Obamacare enrollment went up 30% this year. What happy do you think about address- that? Are people starting to like it? <laughs> no, I'm happy to address that. What they did was um, when we had the COVID outbreak, um, they said, if you keep people on, even though they no longer are eligible for Medicaid, If you keep them on during this pandemic, we will give you an additional FMAP. And, of course, an FMAP is the percentage that the federal government pays towards Medicaid. Right now in those states, my state, it's right around 60% that they pay. The state pays 40%. Well, I've never seen a health department that didn't want to get more money. So they said, sure, we'll keep them on. Give us that extra 6.9%, whatever it was, for the FMAT. Some states, 5.7. So they kept that. So for three years, people who were no longer eligible for Medicaid were kept on Medicaid and Mm. not kicked off. So when they did the, quote, unwinding, um, they were saying, sending out an evaluation, your updated income. So all these people were taken off. Well, these people automatically then applied on healthcare.gov for a very, very low premium, low subsidy, lots of subsidies, because they were just right at that poverty level or more. And so, yeah, so of course they had been on Medicaid. Now they're on healthcare.gov. Big surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, you know, one of the things I use with my short-term plan is direct primary care, which Uh is amazing. I pay 90 bucks a month. Uh, I get in to see my doctor and I never see my doctor for less than an hour. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how he does it, Mm -hmm. but it's just incredible care. They give me Mm -hmm. discounted drugs sometimes, imaging, Uh labs. Uh, They now have a flat fee surgical center. Um, You know, uh, they've been around, I think, probably for about 10 years now, but Mm -hmm. they're not really known. I mean, DPC has been around for about 15 years, but around the country, a lot of people do not know about them. Um, And they don't even know, you know, direct primary care, do a Google search in your city. I I know people that live in big cities. They have no idea what this is. Why do you suppose that's the case? Well, I remember when they were called cash doctors way back in the day, and there was a link where you can go and look up a cash doctor. Um, And then they went from there to DPCs. They're terrific. I really support them. I've spoken at their conferences. I think it's great. And we have more of them going to that all of the time. But again, if I go back to um, pre-Obamacare, when you could pick a policy that said, we don't cover primary care physicians. Let's think about it. What is health insurance supposed to cover? The big catastrophic stuff, right? That you can't pay for or negotiate yourself. So why in the world did we include a primary care physician visit or generic drugs for that matter? So you could have chosen a policy with a much smaller premium that says, we don't cover primary care, go wherever you want and negotiate that rate with your doctor. We don't cover generic drugs. Those are three, five dollars. So those are not catastrophic things. Um, You negotiate that yourself. Under the ACA, they said all insurance plans must cover, and that's one of the things, was primary care. So when people are going to a direct primary care doctor and they're paying that monthly fee, whatever it may be, they're kind of paying twice. 
because they have to pay to be able to get a discount to see a primary care physician plus go to the direct primary care. That stinks, you know, but you can't take it off of your, you know, your traditional policy. Now, with short-term medical, they also, they allow uh, for your primary care visit to apply to their deductible, but not to a direct primary care doctor. But in the long run, you win, especially if you have if you have several doctor's visits, um, you take several medications because most short-term medical plans don't pay toward, don't allow your medications to apply to the deductible. They don't cover them. Um, but their, your direct primary care doctor can give you a lower price. Usually it's a pass-through price to you from the care, from directly through the pharmacy. And, um, yeah, I think it's fabulous. But why do most people not know about them? For the very reason you mentioned, they say, Oh, does that? Oh, they're not in my network. Oh, it doesn't apply to my deductible. That's why. Yeah, they're just used and to we've that. We've really, yeah, we've really warped people's thinking about what insurance is. We've turned health insurance into payment plans. Yes, prepaid. into payment plans and discount programs, and really, we've lost the true meaning yes. of insurance, which, like you said earlier, is to cover stuff you don't anticipate that would really be devastating to you financially. You're exactly just right. crazy, crazy. You know, Anne Marie, um, you know the uh, other. Oh, I was just <laughs> going to say, if I've actually had people call me. I need to get an insurance policy because I need to go to the doctor. Well, Uh, you do know that you could just call and make an appointment and go to a doctor. You can? Oh, I thought I had to have insurance. It reminds me of years ago there was a commercial of people standing on an escalator that had stopped and nobody moved. (laughs) And, like, you know, you can't just walk up the stairs or walk down the stairs you don't have to wait for the escalator to move. It's the same. We have so indoctrinated people in that you don't even go to a doctor or you don't go get a prescription unless you get insurance. That's silly. Yeah. I, I, I think of my DPC doctor as keeping me away from specialists. And in the rare yeah. event, I need to see a specialist. I call and I negotiate the price before I walk out the door. I said, I'm a self-pay. How much is it going to cost for a visit? And usually most of them are very accommodating. Uh, You stay away from a hospital-operated physicians because the prices they charge are astronomical. Wonderful. Um, You know, the other op... The other option Retton could have had was a health share ministry. Now, the costs are a bit higher, and they're not really... They're not insurance. uh, And, you know, the costs can be pretty high because, again, they're going to ask you all about your lifestyle, and your premium is going to be dependent on that. They may not even accept you if you have a, you know, a high-risk lifestyle. Um, What can you say about those arrangements? Okay, two things. One, we know they're not actually insurance. So you could not go file a complaint with your insurance department if they don't pay or you don't feel like the contract was made. It would have to be a lawsuit situation that they didn't fulfill a contract. Um, it is a large group of folks that are faith-based primarily, and they have all said, let's share each other's medical expenses. Initially, when this kind of first started and they approached me about this years ago, my concern was there were not enough people in the pool to be able to share the risk. In other words... Let's have somebody mm. has a $300,000 um, premature twins. How is that going to be covered when everybody's paying this small amount into this pool? Now, of course, thanks to Obamacare, that was the exception of uh, paying the fine. 
If you didn't go into Obamacare, you could go to a health sharing ministry and you were not subject to the fine. Of course, under the Trump administration, they dropped that down, that fine down to zero. So, you know, people can do that without paying a fine or get a short-term medical plan uh, without paying a fine. But to answer the question, two, two things, and by the way, I help people sign up for those types of plans. You have to understand why they, they're not more expensive than the ACA, but they're, they're about, not quite half, but they could be about 80%, um, or I'm sorry, you would pay about 80% of what it would be for the ACA, depending on which of the plans that you went to. Was it Samaritan or was it CMS, which uh, can be the, the um, Christian Sharing Ministry, CSM, Christian Sharing Ministry? There are several of them. Um, that they all have varying rates. No, they're not as low as the short-term medical plans that can save you 75%. You're only paying 30%, you know, of what you would have paid. Then here's why. They, la- they You don't have to reapply. They continue. They don't drop you unless you drop them. Unlike the short-term medical plans, that's only one mm. year at a time. It's only six months at a time. And then you reevaluate it. So because it continues, they're going to be a little bit more. They don't cover pre-existing conditions either. Um, they do, and like short-term medical plans don't cover normal maternity. So let's say you're a young couple, and you're not going to have a baby right away, but you would like to sometime in the next five years, let's say. Um, then they do have some maternity built in, but you have to be with them for, say, 12 months or 24 months, depending on the plan. So that's why they're a little bit more, but it depends on the type of coverage that you want and what you want it to cover. Uh, but the one the one concern is, of course, it is not insurance. Uh, you have to rely upon the fact that it will be covered. Some of them have an actual network. They usually uh, work with the P- PCM network or one of the other national networks. Um, some don't have a network at all. You negotiate your own prices. So, yeah, there are folks in that plan, and it ballooned. Um, after the ACA, some of the yeah. plans have 250,000 people in them. Well, we have run out of time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, Anne-Marie. And sometime maybe we could talk about when I testified before the Republican Study Committee, what I recommended. That would be great. All right. Thank you. Beverly Gossage is a state senator from Kansas who is knowledgeable about Obamacare because she happens to be in the health insurance business. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate uh, your giving us your time. And uh, we would also appreciate if you could share our link, rate us, and become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Sheeper.